big shout out to the PI team all around the world and big shout out to our customers who make their jobs a joy for them. My nickname is self-imposed, but no one's corrected me <laughs> because I'm CEO, maybe not, but I'm like, I call myself the janitor because there isn't anything that I'm not willing to do. If I can help the wheels turn faster or unlock blockages in, in bottlenecks and processes, yeah, that's what I'm focused on. And that's sort of my core focus. Great to have you on. First, introduce, or no, do the introduction, then introduce you. Here we go. See, this is why Ackerman is usually here because he keeps me in line and my head goes to 12 different places. I'm not very linear. I don't have him here to yell at me. So, hello and welcome. We are the sons of CPAs. Join us as we question the industry norms with the next generation of professionals leading this space. We are the change agents in an industry fraught with money and inertia. Let's begin the sons of CPAs with our very special guest, Guy Pearson from Practice Ignition and many other things. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, mate. It's 8 a.m. here in Sydney, Australia, so it's a pleasure to be dialing in from down under. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, First mate. thing on a Tuesday with the sons of CPAs. That's awesome. That's, that's it. I said I've had a coffee, so I'm well prepared. I, I just did one earlier today with somebody in Canada. So we're hitting different parts of the globe. Nice. What got you into accounting in general? You had started this work stuff in 2002. Is that right? Yeah. In Australia, we have like a grade 10 uh, work placement program. So you oh. typically take two weeks out and, and you go find a a job and somewhere to sort of sponsor you, they don't have to pay you, but ideally they try and teach you some skills. And I really like numbers and people. So my strengths are maths, economics in high school. And I really liked engaging with different people and, and stories behind numbers, et cetera. And so I saw that an accounting firm, ended up getting a spot at a regional accounting firm. I think that's what uh, you would all call it. About a hundred people uh, here, not too far from where I grew up on uh, Sydney's Northern beaches. I was very lucky to do so. And that was in the late nineties, I went back to work there kind of every summer and went to holidays. And before I finished my SAT equivalent or the HSC here in Australia, I was lucky enough to be offered a, a job there to sort of commence a pseudo cadetship internship type role. So I kicked off working there in 2002 in a more formal capacity. And you know, the story began from there. Ironically, I got into agricultural economics at university just due to the way I'd stack rank my preferences. Agricultural economics, that sounds... If you're not familiar with it, uh, have you seen the movie Trading Places? Yeah. That is the crescendo of agricultural the economics. Futures. Yeah, the futures. Yeah, the futures of natural resources, basically. And so, a very, very interesting kind of turn of affairs. Anyway, long story short, and then I changed, Would you consider changed, yourself so. a futurist? No, not really. I, I don't think so. I, I think I follow logical paths forward. So, it was logical, perhaps, but if we're talking about something that's a bit far of left field, I'm probably going to stick to my logic accounting brain in that yeah. shape or form. End up changing colleges, taking a lower, a lower preference pick that I had on my own list and going to do an accounting degree at Macquarie University here in Sydney. Cool. So accounting, agricultural, finance. So what did your parents do? My dad was in sales and very much used to work was, so I'm not sure if we've had this chat, but dad passed away when I was about six. And so he was 36. So I'm now older than he ever was, which is kind of a weird, um, a weird thing to celebrate and have. But in relation to what he was doing at this age, to not have that reference, that's pretty impactful or for you to have passed that. Yeah. 
it's it's a unique one but i would suggest i got my people skills and my let's say yeah how would you say it extroversion from him okay and i still catch up with a couple of guys he works with twice a year yeah so i get like the stories and and good and bad and ugly mostly good at least that's what they tell me which is nice and then my mother jack of all trades my mom's just a soldier for lack of a better word she was in a mix of travel admin sales business bookkeeping and has done almost everything under the sun and done incredibly well for herself. She's just a, a really hard worker. So I definitely got my, my, both my parents had a solid work ethic, but I would say I got this sort of perseverance and perhaps stubbornness more so from my mom's side and with the most respect because she's you know, kept having bad things happen or well, not bad, but not great things and persevering and, and somehow coming out the other side winning. You know, well, it's stubborn for lack of a better term, that. right? Like persistence. Determined or... might be a, 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 a <laughs> more kind way to say it, but she's amazing. She ended up running sort of a, a locum accommodation business for doctors on a rural property, six hours south of Sydney. She only retired about just the beginning of COVID, so like 18 months ago. Okay. So yeah, she went from, she did that for the last decade. She loves being a born in the city, but I think always a bit of a country girl at heart. So has horses, chickens, dog, cat, all that sort of stuff. Massive veggie garden, feeder, fit an army. Did you grow up? Vegetables. Did you grow up around that? Cause no, I grew up, oh, okay. grew up near the beach. So I grew yeah. up uh, in. I was say all this agricultural um, stuff, maybe that put it in the way. But I, I feel like you're holding on to it a little bit too much there, mate. I'm, I'm okay. Call me a country bumpkin. I just don't think I've earned it. To be honest, yeah. I'm definitely a beach city slicker. Yeah. For those dialing in, if you're familiar with Bondi Beach, uh, that's the south side main beach closest to the city. The north side of the city, Sydney separated by a big harbour. It's on the north side. The first beach there is Manly Beach. So I grew up not too far from there. So let's back up to the earlier question of getting into the industry and get, becoming a, an accountant, so to speak. Or what is, what's the designation there? I forgot. Not necessarily CPA, but... Yeah, I'm a CA. CA. Same. So if you were, put it in context, if you're a chartered accountant or a CA here in, in Australia, you're more likely to be a partner at PwC, KPMG, Ernst Young, etc. There's a CPA, there's IPA. And personally, I don't have a an arrogance or a preference between designations. They all just have slightly different points. But when I was coming up 20 years ago through the accounting system, CAs were partners in firms and CPAs were internal financial controllers like Coca-Cola Amatil or at a mining company. For whatever reason, the split in terms of, at least in sort of you know, early 2000s, how we thought about it. But now it's best education program that most aligns with you. And it's not really good, bad or an ugly option. It's just whatever's right for you. Well, when I hear IPA, I think of beer. Did you say IPA is also a designation? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah it is. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's a designation for a lot of Americans, but that's it's the Indian. It's it's from India, not from Australia, or not from that part. Institute of Public Accountants. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. The beard took off. <laughs> the Institute of Public Accountants. <laughs> you went into the industry. Tell me a little bit about your journey there. I guess you started off at more of a mid-sized firm, then moving on. Where did you go? So I was. Lucky enough to be at that firm out of high school and studying college in the evening, which is fairly common here and going to uni at night. Um, and I did that for the first three years. I finished off, uh, then changed firms. So that firm was an amazing family orientated, close to the beach style firm, very much a large suburban accounting firm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to progress more. And in case you probably haven't noticed, I'm a bit determined and a few other things given uh, the journey I've taken. 
And so like um, your mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wanted to take a, a step in that direction where there was more progression opportunities, more forward thinking in certain ways and, and work with more entrepreneurial minded accountants than yeah, I was with the shop I was at was more sort of tax compliance focused. Okay. And so I, I went on a bunch of interviews, got a gig at a company that was on the lower North shore, sort of closer to the city, about five Ks from down, sorry, three miles from downtown. So I'll try, I'll try and translate as much I'll as do possible. the, I'll do uh, the conversion in the show notes. How about that? And I got to work with some of the like private arms of some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs, you know, families that perhaps had started a company that became listed or they'd exited and they were building up a private business as well. So maybe it was buying a property portfolio, building resorts, investing in other companies, all those sorts of things. Okay. So I got to meet and, and hang out with some of these entrepreneurs as well as having an entrepreneurial boss that didn't have a secretary on a floor below me as a guard, but sat right next to me in a fairly open plan office and pulled me into every meeting that he could and should and thought he, he should. There's very much a different way of thinking and operating. Tax went from being a bad word to let's think about minimizing it, but let's think about the commercial outcome primarily because mm -hmm. do you want $20 in the bank account or do you want 20,000 at the end of the year? And yeah, that was a mind shift and very much thinking more about balance sheet and just profit loss and tax bill. That's um, important. That's really important. And was this around the time when you decided you wanted to do more for the clients or that, cause I, I don't want to make assumptions there, but it sounds like going into your own practice, you could impact that a lot more than work for somebody else, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. The, the big precipice to making the change was the boss that I had, who was a partner in the firm had suggested because I had a drive to put my hands up to do a bunch of other things. So I ended up running our grab recruitment program for a while. I ran marketing for a while. I ran BD for a little while and then eventually, so I was grand old age of 23. This is why team. you're the master of the flywheel because you're doing different <laughs> things, but th this kind of makes sense that you would be doing different things at a firm that you're already at. You know? Yeah. I wanted to know what it was like to run a firm. And so I tried to get my head around all things and our firm very much put clients first. So I would be known to client services pool of people who help finish up jobs. And remember this is the early 2000s. So well before cloud sure. packages were going out and uh, yeah, I would get in and do some of the admin and filing because I needed to get something to a client because I had a meeting with a bank or something else. Right. So I would be like, I don't care. Tell me what you need to do or what I can do. So you can do this, this work for me. And I would just pitch in and and jump in and do whatever didn't, didn't bother me. I've never really cared about rank and profile. So these are all those sorts of things. And the company grew our team doubled revenue, which is why I ended up leading my own team. We had another gentleman on the team. He's a good mate of mine now, but we were the, just, I would say the, the juniors of our partner and we could talk to people. We understood numbers, we understood commerce and we kind of just drove things onwards. He's also running his own firm these days, but the difference. I think between us was I had saved up a bunch of cash. I've been working in accounting yeah, since I was about 16. Um, zero had started in 07. And so in early 09, I caught wind of that through a good friend who sort of suggested that I take a look and he was working at Atlassian, so very sort of tech forward fellow. And Skype is what we're using right now was around back then. And so <laughs> we are still using Skype. <laughs> Telephony existed. You had Google Suite that had just been born effectively. So had online spreadsheets, docs right. for collaboration, the storage. You might have had early, early versions of Dropbox and things. And then you had sort of the things around zero at the time, um, which were Receipt Bank and I think Fathom and Spotlight, I'm pretty sure. Were, and maybe Unleashed. And then by the time I got to looking at 
zero. I was like, well, for most businesses, e-commerce moving online makes sense. And then online ledger with an API makes sense. Bank feeds, single ledger, loved all that stuff. And so my firm wasn't, the firm I was at wasn't going to move, you know, 80 people is a big ship to turn. And how about, we looked after. I cut off. Did you say you had 80 people? 80 people at the firm is a big, big ship to turn, right? Like you don't yeah. have a doc overnight for an unproven technology. And bear in mind back then, I think Zero had maybe 10, 15, 20,000 customers. Sure. So, and then you know, this is still at the firm you were, you were at. 09 more. And I had decided that I was going to go do my own thing. I was going to do it with my then stepfather, who was a CPA. And that didn't end up panning out. So a couple of things happened. I resigned after finishing my CPA or my CA designation. I booked a trip to go around the world with the savings that I'd saved, which sadly were all in mutual funds. This is like just after GFC. So sadly they were going down in balance and I couldn't pull them out. I was like, I need to go now, otherwise it's never. And so I booked a trip and I went to Africa, Europe and North America. Something about my dad, he was born in Tanzania, just outside a town called Arusha and I was keen to go there and sort of check out Tanzania amongst other things, but I really wanted to kind of get that travel done. And for most of you all listening, you will have, if you've traveled around the world, undoubtedly, no matter where you went, you bumped into an Australian. And so for us, it's almost like a rite of passage as opposed to <laughs> uh, perhaps a distraction from your career or other things. It's like, is it that, so for all the listeners, is it because Australians speak English and is that why we're running into them? Or is it just because Australians like to travel? Probably both, but I would, I would dare say that you might be the only person you'd known who'd been to place X, asked that Australian, how many of your friends have been to that place before? There's probably dozens. Okay. So, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Sort of like everyone, like we just go. And because we're at the other end of the world, it's not easy to do two week trips to let's say Europe or other places. So when we go, we tend to sort of pack things up and go for a long time. That's a really interesting fact that I'm probably going to hang on to for a while. A lot of innovative tech like Zero and, and Practice Ignition and others is coming from your neck of the woods, whether it's New Zealand or Australia. It tends to be focused over there. There's a lot of other reasons it could be between getting up and going could also be the correlation between cloud platforms and it makes it easier to run your firm. But I don't know. I don't know if that's a correlation or not. You know. I think we have, we have lots of small businesses. So there's a whole notion of no one likes their boss and it's somewhat of a, a cheeky kind of uh, insinuation here in Australia, but off the back of that, people always want to be their own boss and want to be able to make their own choices. So I think per capita, we have one little, I don't know the exact stats, but if we have 2 million SMBs or 2 million small businesses, including freelancers, we have a population of 25 million people. Okay. And so you start to break all that down. It's just small business kind of power, the Aussie economy. The same is true for New Zealand. And so what you end up with is why can't I do this online or why can't I connect my systems to reduce admin and try and streamline things and do it relatively cheaply. So we have this whole notion, I think of trying to serve for small business because that's what we're familiar with. It's what our parents have done. It's what our friends' parents have done. It's not like everyone works for a corporate. Um, and drive your own future too, right? You can drive your own future and decide if you want to travel or not when you work for yourself. Nobody's going to tell you you can't take this time off. 100%. And I think the other thing is also that because it's a smaller country, certain things have innovated because it's, once again, a smaller ship to turn. It's a shorter feedback uh, loop, I think. I, yeah. I feel like there's somewhat of a shorter feedback loop when you have less... Um, I don't know what the word is, but in the U.S., there's just so many fragments of of societies within states 
that it's harder to get things passed. And th yep. this is more macro on that end, but we don't we don't have a lot of change here. There's a lot of inertia in the US and a lot of it's the laws that stop people from doing things. Like you can't even name your firm. I don't know if you knew this, but in a lot of states in the US, you can't name your firm what you want. It has to be the name yeah. of the practicing CPA. And that's kind of silly. That, that was one of the things that kind of shocked me as I dropped into the US early on. Um, and was up on stage telling people to take their name off the effing door. Um, yeah. I was just and like, they're going to raise their hand sense. and say, we can't do that. And that's their yeah. mindset is because the laws to them, the laws are not going to change. And a lot of states, and this is something that I'm dealing with now too. I have CPAs in other states and I got to take them off of my website just because they're in a different state. It just seems kind of silly. They've got the designation. Yeah. They keep up with it. And now, so... So we digress. So you're, you're starting off yep. and now, let, now let's get back into that gear. And I don't know where this falls in. So tell me where you're it's at. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So did the trip, came back, I'd started, I'd registered the company name and kicked off the process before I left to become a registered accounting uh, firm. That's the name of the firm's interactive accounting. It's still operating today. And I came back home, sadly with less money than I thought I would have. Due to, due to money, <laughs> just keep going down. And my mutual funds that were supposed to be a, a good investment were declining whilst I was withdrawing cash out. So I came home, I literally got off the plane after a 36 hour journey, went home, washed my clothes and went to my first job. So I actually started working my night job whilst I was kicking off the accounting firm and just making sure I could just keep the lights on. I was actually at a brewery serving. So that's where I met my wife, but it wasn't a brewery. But it, we met, I was working at two different restaurants while I was still finishing my degree. I feel like part of the service industry really helps you in life. When you're working, when you're bartending or when you're waiting tables, you're dealing with a lot of different walks of life. Wherever you're working, you're dealing with a lot of different people too. And that tends to lend itself to be, become a lot more diverse. And when you're serving in a firm, you can work with your employees and, and you're not just, you don't have that fixed mindset. I don't understand. So I worked at one of Australia's first craft breweries behind a bar. We have a very different system here where it's more probably like what it is in the US at the moment when you order, we don't have runners. There's less waitresses in a lot of places unless you're at a fine dining establishment. You typically go to the bar, you order, and then either you have a buzzer, which goes off and you go collect your food. We're getting that app post-COVID now. Yeah. yeah. Post-COVID, <laughs> we are table. labor um, shortage. So yeah. 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 And so where we've ended up, anyway, it was great. I used to have great conversations to your point. Uh, I feel like if you can handle an inebriated person <laughs> who isn't getting what they want or, or a very fussy person, it's a great lesson in life. Thankfully I'd already had user client experience. Definitely even just my knowledge, being an accountant, being able to talk business with some of the folks, cause the beers were you know, craft beers always a bit more expensive than, yeah. you know, than cause light or, or whatever the equivalent is that, that you all drink. Yeah, don't don't ask me. Deep. I don't know what we all drink here. Yeah. That's like a, it was definitely a good lesson. So I kicked off this accounting firm during the days, got my designation, got the website up and running and very much had the view that we were going after the generate the next generation of entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest pieces of feedback I'd had during my career, which is probably telling in terms of what I did after IA was I hate getting surprise bills. Like that is the bane of my existence. Like everyone's just a, a sort of misalignment. Interactive really quickly became one of the first sort of fixed fee accounting firms. And you know, so unsurprisingly attracted a lot of digital agencies and a lot of software companies, a lot of e-commerce shops. We used to do systems audit, implementation, rollout, very sort of small set of options back then. Mm -hmm. um, so that it solved the problem or it didn't. And then we would take over sort of bookkeeping management, accounting and tax. And the first 
the way I got off the ground because I had no cash is I borrowed some money to buy. There's a retiring gentleman I'd met before I learned one of my trip and he had a very, very tiny client base. And I said, I would pay him X per dollar uh, for the fees as long as the clients wanted to go with me. So we had to go and visit all these clients and they were coming off. He was using Lotus notes. Oh, wow. um, so we were coming, I was taking them off Lotus notes, occasionally taking them off MYB and putting them onto zero. So massive step change in terms of what they were. was on Lotus. They, he would have, yeah. he would have jumped in at that point and said that he was on Lotus before zero, but that's what they were. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so 2000 and that was 2010. Yeah. yeah. So 11 years ago doing that got fairly heavily involved in the whole zero community thing back then product feedback. Yeah. Funny memories of sitting on cafes near with the beach where I grew up with founders of receipt bank and then my figure wow. to go, how they were going to, how they were going to penetrate Australia which is one of their largest revenue generators now, sure. but just lots of awesome early experiences. And once again, being around entrepreneurs, I was like, I want to do something that's more scalable that solves the problem because accountants and, and interactive could help change the way a business runs and systems and give them more flexibility, but couldn't actually solve their operating problem per se. Mm -hmm. And so my first stance, so first company I created after that was, it's called My Financial Conversions. And so I'm not sure if you have this, as a problem, but banks here would only give you typically three months, last three months of, of CSV data out of the, the banking platform. Oh, oh yep. yeah. And then the rest was PDF. And so this, this is 2011. I knew a gentleman who was in sort of the ecosystem that had OCR tech amongst other things, but it basically, they just built a template and could extract all the data. And the idea was very much just have a different front end for that. That was just designed for one time per client bank statement data conversion for the periods that you couldn't get out from the bank just to speed up the, the move over to say zero or, or whatever your cloud platform was. Yeah. So, you know, started it, went reasonably well. We closed it down because he wanted to use it as lead gen for his company. And that really, I was like, this is a one-time solution. All the financial data systems are going to move towards APIs and real-time data streams. So I don't yeah. see this as a temporary bandage. Right? thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So we, we shut that down after generating some revenue. That was an interesting experiment. I, was, I had little to nothing to do with the tech. I was more the marketing side. Sure. Kicked, kicked off a systems implementation business separate to the accounting firm so we could do it for other accounting firms and mates outside of our firm. Struggled to find people to run, own and run that. Um, the accounting firm ended up absorbing it and we ended up shutting it down as we moved more and more into software co clients who didn't need us to do their tech. We'd gone past the bricks and mortar moving to the cloud businesses. That was sort of 2012 and the other one was a company called MyPIR, which was my property investment report and it was me and one of my good mates who's a software founder now, but at the time as I'm a product manager at Elastian. And we both wanted, we were considering doing MBAs and we decided that we put for 12 and a half K each in to try and get a company off the ground to generate dollar revenue one from idea through to launch. Um, could we do it? And so we learned about agile. We hired external developers, designers, we used all the find someone platforms and, and engaged them through contract that way. We had student interns and ultimately, and once again, I was more on the, the marketing and the product side and go to market and, and he was more on the technical side. We got the product up and running, we got it to market and it's a very much a replacement of, I used to do a whole bunch of, should I buy a property as an investment strategy for a client? So I used to build like, what if scenarios? And the one thing we all know about property is that Actually, more so here, everything goes to auction. You don't actually know what you're going to pay for it until oh, okay. the auction's finished, right? So 
you tended to need three scenarios, you know, base, high, middle, in terms of what you thought, and then stamp duty or taxes on the transaction change, as well as the LVR ratios for the banks. There wasn't really anywhere to do that all the months. And then sort of thinking about bringing your parents in for comments or your accountant. The idea was to get accounts to sell it onto so the provider. Here, typically, we don't have auctions unless it's seized by the police. Like if it's drug, yeah. if it's a drug car or a drug something, <laughs> like that's that's what we always. Say. If it, if it's a lot of money, if it's worth a lot, but I think that would create a better situation for the market and a sh shorter feedback loop, right? If you do yeah. an auction, you're gonna in real time, you're gonna figure out what this property is really valued and not just how lucky you got and how long it was on the market. That this could be for commercial or for residential. You're yep. dealing with the same thing in the U.S., but we don't have a lot of auctions. And that could be because the real estate broker market is so big here, right? Yep. I mean, where a lot of our clients are real estate agents. Do you have a, a lot of real estate agents there that are dealing I with I think we have less. My, my experience in North America, my, my fiance is from Toronto, and we, we just thought we'd shit some giggles, go and look at a place. And I didn't realize that you had to have a buyer's side agent and a seller side agent really? they couldn't be the same and i was just like what why who cares just like, money anyway, yeah anyway it's just different so here we we probably have less i'd say they're fairly highly systemized and they tend to work in like pods like accountants so there might be a principal and the team and then they've got people who can help them run opens people respond to emails and queries on price da -da 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 -da, and yeah there's like a little pod within an agency and then they have all the systems behind the scene to gauge you know who's looking at what how popular a property is based on clicks all that sort of stuff the websites here for the marketplaces of property like if you go to realestate.com.au have a search around you know, comparatively to what i've tried to use in the us or otherwise it, it's just it's about 10 they years make ahead. it hard here they make it hard here. yeah yeah, yeah. but also it's I, I feel like it's a market type thing 100 so we, we digress again but i'd say <laughs> this all just goes to show that i tried a few other things before practice ignition yeah. Um, so I kicked off five companies in three years. Okay, this is that flywheel I was talking about. Because you, yeah. you you see the problems in the industry and you see the problems that could help you. You're like, if this yeah, is a problem for me, this is a problem for somebody else. So then you dive into those. Yeah, it's, it's more or less a problem for someone else. So I tested how much time have I got? And I had a lot of time and not a lot of money. Um, right. So like I was working 100 hour weeks and I was okay with that because I was trying to plant seeds for the, the future of my career and yeah. trying to solve some problems. Where we ended up, when why this could all happen is I, a good friend of mine became the effectively CFO director. So thinking about the CFO role at IA for our clients, she had come on the company and, and joined in to do that. So she was team member number one and became partner pretty quickly. So and that's then the team other member one was, number one at interactive accounting. Yep. And then tax okay, okay. tax director we hired not too long after. So within eighteen months to two years. I wasn't doing any client facing work, very, very little. And three years in after starting the firm, I wasn't there on the day to day or on payroll. A lot of, you know, a lot of firms here, people started with the client facing and within their firm, that kind of creates a mindset of how they need to do things. And it's hard to get out of that. It took me a while to get out of client facing work. Now I'm trying to get out of sales and that's another hard thing to get out of. Right. But I, again, I, I'm, I'm digressing. I did want to ask what the PL is for interactive accounting P slash L. And I got a follow-up question. Oh, right. Sure. Your company designations, you have limited, which is a public company, meaning it could be 
has to report and disclose its number publicly or is a publicly listed company just responsible like a bit more disclosures and audits required etc pty uh -huh. ltd is probably essential uh, proprietary limited so it's a private company doesn't have to disclose its numbers publicly at all it's probably more like a not a partnership so that would be an llc kind of equivalent or a limited mm -hmm. partnership would be llc it'd be more like a c or an s corp so then it's this is more to the question of what is the difference between a like in just general terms, what's the difference with a firm, a practice, and a group? But I actually, the other person I asked this was to is Josh Lance. From my standpoint, not a lot. It just depends on how you're comfortable referring to your business. Practice ignition. And then Lance is Lance CPA group, but then a lot of people talk about CPA firms. So this is... I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Practice ignition, like firm ignition or... Um... Firm ignition does not sound good. Group, group, group ignition, ignition doesn't sound no, good either. No, yeah, that sounds, sounds terrible. So I'll be honest though, practice ignition sounds good to me because of practice ignition, because of the company. If you had called it group ignition, maybe it wouldn't have gained as much traction, but it might. I'm not sure people self-identify and go, this might be for me. And that was, <laughs> that was like, who are, who are we selling to? And then, so how do people resonate? And then the second part was, what are we doing and what are we changing? So like, yeah, what does PI do? It's the first step in a client engagement. Also the renewal. Typically, there's a bit of spark within the firm because it's where everything kicks off as well as perhaps their attitude towards growth or efficiency. And then the other corny one we came up with was like ignition and the whole industry is heading towards the cloud. Bear in mind, this is 2011, 2012. And so all those things combined led to like why ignition was such a, a good, solid naming yeah. part branding, but the practice piece was like, who are we going after? Sure. Sure. Uh, I do like the PI. I, I say PI all the time and now my autofill switches it to the pie symbol. And <laughs> so whenever I'm talking to anybody, for this. <laughs> eventually I've been waiting for this one. Yeah. So eventually, so you, you hired your first person there and you're getting things off the ground. And this is typical for me interrupting. Why did practice ignition take off too? And I don't know if that's a loaded question. That's all right. It's <laughs> a funny one. Pardon the pun. Uh, the, the interactive, we were running a monthly, monthly retainer based practice for the majority of the work that we were doing. We had systems, I guess that'd be equivalent to sort of like a bill.com. We had a, something that's called socket. Uh, it was a quoting platform that was online back then. We had zero for our ledger and we had zero practice manager but back then it was called workflow max as our, as our practice management or workflow manager tool. And in, in the month all of that. We had one SaaS trying to connect some of the platforms predecessor to Zapier for us here. We had, I was using Google Sheets to congen, uh, generate concatenate formulas to build URLs, which sometimes would allow you to have a branded landing page is pre-filled for things like the payment form. And in all of this, I was just like, this is too hard because our companies that are our clients keep growing, which is amazing, but it also means that like maybe every quarter we have to change the agreement, change five different systems, make sure the team understands. And it wasn't a solid flow of information, let alone bubbling up into one central place that allowed us the to downside to having successful clients and having a successful firm is you have to figure out how to scale with them too. Yeah. And charge I mean, them the right prices. Yeah, exactly. And so the first step was good friends of ours in New Zealand who built our first couple of websites and we built five in the first four years or something. We, um, we built a renewal portal and it was very much started off simply. It's like, okay, let's, how do we do this so that it's all streamlined and, and we can pre-upload the, the package for the following year and people can just sign off and, and put the payment details or confirm them and go very structured. So not really flexible, ugly, 
but much better than, than a PDF going out for signature or, or using 15 different systems. So that was step one. Really liked what the efficiencies we got out of that process. The clients really liked it and the feedback. And I was pulling myself out of the database and just realizing that if we didn't get this right, and I'd seen my clients use Shopify and e-commerce land as the sort of system of record, source of truth for how they ran the business. And it connect to everything else. So inventory, billing, collections. And then you had the software folks on the other side. And they had, you know, Recurly perhaps back at that time, plus software engineers to build what happens next, user provisioning, collections, et cetera, and automate that. Here we are, the smart people in the room. You can't even get a, a systems flow that connects to drive that business. And for whatever reason, like I was always in the view, you need a contract before you can charge somebody. Because I know on the other side, it'd be like, show me what I signed. And if I don't agree with the services, I might dispute them. And I'm not a very uh, confrontational kind of fella, but be like, oh, I want to know where I signed off on this thing. I need to do it. And, you know, we, we were terrified. Surprise billing too, right? You'd... Right off run rampant, right? Like in the old days of time and cost and surprise billing, like you want to keep the client so you might knock 50% off the bill. Yeah. And that's, that's not good for the business. So long story short, myself, some of the guys we spent a lot, of, a lot of time talking with is Stu from Carbon back in the day. And he and I actually put the first little bit of capital into PR to kick the idea off. So we had this whole notion of what is the front end of a firm look like? And I was very much focused on the front end. And as you can tell, Stu was focused on like, what happens next? Like how does the back the office work? Yeah. Yeah. And they're two separate problems. And I was focused on trying to grow a firm. And my view was that if you can get the front end operating system, and then you can automate what happens behind the scenes. So put more tech in place to automate and flow of information, use all the best tools and be happy with that as the, the way you operate. Then what you want to do is throw more comp, uh, more clients in the top or upsell your existing clients by offering them more services that they actually value. No one wants a second tax return, but if you can tell them how to help them build a forecast that understands their business and look at pricing and all the other things you do to help them develop their business. They'll likely be all in. We kicked that off. I put, I had a line of credit available to me. I used that instead of buying a parcel of fees for the firm. So that engaged a design agency in Melbourne and a brand designer out of New York, I think. And then we hired two local engineers who are on contract. Uh, one of them is still one of our shareholders. He's gone on to do some amazing things. There's a guy by the name of Matt Allen. He runs Tractor Ventures here now after working at Amazon and a few other places. And then another guy called Julio. So we've got this. So this is about yeah. 10 years ago too. So yes. you're approaching 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So 2012, I was still working in the accounting firm when we launched our, still running the accounting firm, we launched our alpha, our beta. We'd, I'd won and the firm had won a bunch of awards at the 2011 ZeroCon, like the inaugural one in Australia. And the next year I came back with a booth and a software platform ah. and, and like a marketing video and one of our developers. So Matt was a great mate and another, another friend jumped on to a goose jumped on to help us at the stand and I'd never designed a stand before. I'd never been in front of people doing active marketing in that way. And basically had a whole bunch of people coming over to sort of ask what PI was. And it was so structured and rigid back in the day. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about all the things involved in a product, but when you're building a platform and you're not building on top of something like the Salesforce, you have to create all the underlying infrastructure from scratch. So my parents own a software company. Oh, well, they, my parents own a, well, it's actually for nonprofits, but it's a GL and they do payroll as well. But uh, yeah, and, and I've seen the development of that since I was a very young age and it's, it's very hard. So to not have anything to build on top of and to do something on, on your own without a foundation, you've got to, and I think it, with your mindset, you're very, you have a growth mindset and you're, 
thinking about the next thing, client facing and all of that, that must've been frustrating for you to have to, to have that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the one thing that I learned the hard way was I always had the expectation and bear in mind, we kicked PI off after I begged everyone else to build this. So I was like, I'm like, I'm not a software guy. Like I'm not an expert in software. I understand accounting and I understand you hired a good little... marketing team. I like the colors. But, you know, off the back of that, it was like, okay, well, how do I, how do I make this thing run? And I wanted everything. Oh, my MVP was like where we're at today. You know, you just need to realize that everything kind of takes time and layers and you need feedback, feedback loops, find out if it works for everyone else. One of the biggest mistakes we made, bear in mind it had to be rigid, so I'm not sure it was a mistake, but I thought that everyone was going to see the logic of running monthly recurring retainers in 2012 and just jump on the bandwagon and and away she goes and probably couldn't have been more wrong. There's a few firms. So you know, one of our first paying customers is a good friend of mine, Steph Hines at GrowthWise. Steph is like kind of carved out a whole different way of branding your accounting firm. If I went one way, like we were both similar, but kind of opposites. And she's, she's trying to lead the, lead the way, turning the city. She lives in called Newcastle into a smart city and just phenomenal as a, smart as a leader, city. as yeah, a person. Yeah. 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 So she's been trying to do that since sort of 2013. So yeah. she's early, early to the party, but we had a few people like that who jumped on. This is, this is amazing. This solves oh, so much of my admin solves my sales process, solves all these things. And it's now standardized. The first thing people wanted was flexibility. Uh, right. Yeah. So, so, and more integrations and all the other things. So, you know, the process from there was, was fairly brutal. There wasn't a lot of capital for early stage companies, which is why zero listed in 2008, I think mm -hmm. in New Zealand with a hundred customers and they raised 5 million and 20 million valuation, which was insane at this end of the world back then. But that only happened because Rod had exited and sold his last business. So it was like a repeat founder kind of mentality behind them. So we ended up raising you know, money from family, friends and fools on the back of the fact we got early, early traction. So my best mate, who I did that, my PR thing, my brother and um, one of my family, friends and fools. I don't know if that's a phrase. Yeah, they call it the three Fs. They call it the three Fs. So usually the early rounds that may not make it under things like Crunchbase, the early rounds are effectively your, your family, your loved ones and people that trust you yeah. or that know you think you'll make it work. Then typically after that comes angels. So the, we were raising capital like every 12 months, doubling key core metrics or tripling them and raising capital to allow us to continue to grow. Because think about it like, and I'm not sure if you're an Elon Musk fan or a Tesla fan, but just think about it like a car factory. Not everyone wants to buy your first car, right? Yeah. And you can't sell it, at least not a full RRP before you build it. And the same goes for software, but you need to fund it. So you need to fund the engineers, fund the team, fund the research to then build the software. So you end up raising capital to be able to do that. Much like the US, Australia doesn't really have a cheap labor pool. Like it's, not, it's pretty expensive to hire people here. So you raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and that might see you through, yeah, going from two people to five or six. Mm -hmm. So you're not sort of earth changing. It is at the time, but then you've got to deploy the, the capital, find the people. And you've got to try and yield the results and you're going back to the market again, like uh, eight, nine months later to try and raise your next round. But yeah, the big things that we wanted to prove out was my thesis at the beginning, this is a problem I have. I think other people have it or will have it as they adopt a monthly recurring model. And for me, that was important for the distribution of cloud accounting, mm -hmm. but also in terms of client sentiment, like no one likes surprise bills that connecting the front end suite with something no one else wanted to do. It wasn't their mission or vision. So. That was mine and I wanted to do that. I was interested in that, but that would be a global problem. So not just for me, not just for Australia, but that'd be a global business. And so it's a global mindset from day one. 
when we had 10 people, we had Max jump over and launch our office in the US. We had Brendan who's on the team still today, launch the UK for us. And we had Tom, who you've probably met when you're trying to pick a, pick someone to work in a country where you don't know anyone and hasn't worked at the company, you tend to go for people that you have known. And so I've known Tom for 20 years and yeah, I went through my LinkedIn Rolodex trying to figure out who we, we could put into Canada. And Tom, unbeknownst to me, had left his original sort of career, which was in sports marketing, gone into work in marketing agencies, and then was working for a software company in post-sales, which I'd missed the, the latter two steps. I hadn't seen him in five years and yeah. um, just living in Canada. And so I reached out to him, managed to convince him to join the company. And so he's our, aside from Dana, myself, I think he's the longest tenured person okay. here at Pete. And so, yeah. All those things all happened and what we solved and what we knew is that everyone marketed and, and went to market slightly differently and thought about things differently. So what partnerships do we need to have? What's important for each market? Who owns the market in terms of distribution, thought leadership, industry bodies, like what was different from Australia? And so we did that and then very much sort of continually raised capital. Well, you're starting to learn that in the US too. Now you need multiple signatures for things. And that seems silly to me. That is a real problem for a lot of accountants here. And it may not have come up for you in the past. So the, the, the funny thing would be as an example that I imagine most firms have an, uh, an Amazon account. And I imagine if, you know, it's a larger firm, perhaps they've got someone in the operations team who's allowed to transact and order stationery and equipment and all those sorts of things. They don't for need me, two people point, to sign all that, right? No, they don't, right? That's, I guess that's my point, right? Like it's, it's effectively an agreement between two parties to deliver something and usually yeah. For whatever reason, the accountants are, are bent around the axle on that having to be two parties. Whereas, yeah, I think it's the individual side. So a lot of accountants, yeah. and maybe I can help explain this for the listeners. Sure. They they know that. But I'll just say it's on the way. Yeah, it's really well, listening. But it's in I, development. So. I think what they want is they want the front end to be the same for the individual taxpayers, and for an individual taxpayer, you do need two signatures. So I think that they're looking to use PI for a more expanded role within their firm. So. I think to, in order to roll it out a lot deeper for the tax, for the individual taxpayers, they would technically need two signatures. So it's, it's another, it goes back to the fixed law, fixed mindset of an IRS. We do need two signatures because it's two family members and their incomes on that return, so to speak. Makes yeah. sense. I guess uh, a lot of countries don't have joint filing. Yeah. So it's individual filing. So it gets negated, um, but I, I completely understand. And so that's. Reiterate that's coming fairly <laughs> shortly. But yeah, the journey kind of accelerated from there. We raised the half days in Series A round in 2017 and very much for them focused on how do we double down and go global and spend more money on marketing. I was so fatigued from raising every 12 months. Like it's a taxing process, it usually takes four to six months to execute. So if you're doing it every 12 months, it's sort of like you're trying to build the plane whilst you're taking off and trying to think about how you fund the next one. And it was very stressful. Ooh, um, I used the plane analogy a couple of times today. Like that, you, you need the plane to take off. And I heard it recently from Don Miller. When you're doing that, especially with a software company, you've got your burn rate, you've got that line of credit that you're looking at, but you also need your marketing team. You need, you need your development team. And a lot of these things do not work if it's just a very good development team. You could have the best engine and wings, but you're not going to take off if you don't have a pilot. Or yep. if you don't have gas in the plane or the plane runs out of gas in midair, that's your cash flow. And you know, think about it maybe in a different analogy, you want to build a better version of the plane that can go further distances so you can carry more passengers. And so 
the accountant in me was like, well, okay, this is ridiculous. Let's just go to Ford's break even. Yeah. Let's take off the Silicon Valley head, uh, you know, head pace for the minute. And let's just go do that. So we raised a half decent size series A at the time for an Australian company and basically pushed it to break even. So then we had 50 people in 2019. We were basically in control of our own destiny, didn't really need additional capital, but we were slowing growth and we had a lot of product to build and you, know, you can only hire one person at a time when you're profitable. So you can you decide and you make slower decisions and you wait. And we very much were the view that the market interest was increasing. We didn't want to slow down. It seems silly not to go bigger. And so we look for a very large global fund. So Tiger Global, who, and if you follow sort of investment press at all, you would see their name on almost every daily update, every weekly update in terms of who the movers and shakers are. They love the accounting space. They love the size of the, the industry. They love the problem we were solving and just removing manual processes and disconnected systems and moving towards a better way to operating. And they all perhaps had frustrations in dealing with their own CPAs <laughs> in the yeah. first perspective. So anything we could do to improve that, they were all in. And so they jumped on board. We remained an Aussie head company, which was somewhat important as we try to move away from just building stuff, digging stuff out of the ground and farming stuff here in Australia is our sort of things that we do very much keen on following the Alassians and the zeros where we use our smarts and grow big companies. And they jumped on board and off the back of that, you would have seen an explosion in headcount. You would have seen bigger banners and, and things at, at trade shows. You probably notice an improvement in customer service and off the back I of that. Was just at engage and you had a, a whole team there and it was at that first zero con versus practicing being an engage. You probably had not much to do with that, did you? Like, did you know, did you know how much was going no, on? Not, around, not, yeah. I knew where we were going because there's a bit of, as you can imagine, with everything that's gone on, there was like, is it too early? Is it too soon? Yeah. And people turn up. But also, it was kind of like our first dabble. So we weren't sure. Like, we ran a pre con event, I think, and which is something we became recently. I slept through it. I did want to go. I, I really <laughs> wanted to go to that. I slept through it. I was, Good oh man, man sorry. Yeah. That's okay. It was important. You got to get some sleep. The thing for us was, yeah, how big do we go? Let's just take it easy on the first one and, and test it out. Well, yeah. to be fair, I woke back. up after the event and I was like sad faced and then I went out afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see more of us, like more prominent placement of us as we go ahead as well at, at events like that. Like we, we love those events. So as a place to meet and greet with the community. We're very big on community go to market. So you'll see us always doing things with folks like Relay or Zero or Dext or HubDoc or yeah, QuickBooks, like whoever the partners are, and partly because we're completely cognizant that you can't build a firm just by having PI. You you need a lot of other pieces of tech, yeah. And you should use a lot of other pieces of tech to run your business. So we just want to be one of them, and we want to play nicely with everyone, and, and sort of you know sing from the same songbook and and make sure that people have a good experience and know that there's a community there ready to help them. So. Well, That's you it. That was always everything. Yeah. And I did want to, I digressed way too much. I wanted to get into the culture there because you have a sure. very good culture in your team, but you can't, you can't be everything to everybody. You can't, no. you can't solve everybody's problems either, but you can be something, you know, very meaningful for people that need it. And I think, I feel like PIs is one of our cores. If I think about the software that we care most about, it's carbon, PI and zero. And that's maybe not in any particular order. But I feel like those, that's our core. Like without those three, we may not be where we are today. I feel like a lot of people from PI helped us along the way and solved a lot of problems that I had that nobody else was trying to solve. I, this was no surprise bills, 
this part of my core philosophy at our firm. And we never, we've always had fixed fee as well, kind of like you. I care a lot about the client transparency. And we never really had a solution besides just me delivering some a PDF to somebody. We never really had something that integrated with our systems that took, and, and I could go into a lot of detail about what we do, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that. This is a, this is something that I feel like I can grow with PI too, and I can grow with carbon, I can grow with zero. Whereas I, I don't feel that comfortable with something like QuickBooks. <laughs> and, and I know that QuickBooks is a good enough product and there are other good products out there, but understanding the philosophy of a company and the leadership there really plays to using that product or using whatever it might be because you can grow with it. And a lot of firms do want to grow. That's what everybody wants to do. And then the biggest problems are hiring or this or that, but the only way you're really going to grow is revenue, you know, and, and money in, in the front and making it so much easier for the client on the front end creates it makes it effortless on the back end too. It almost, I mean, you do have to have good systems and I'm taking a lot of things for granted, but what, what do you think? You know, you can stop me at any time there. I just no, no, I, I thought I'd like, I'm conscious we're coming up on time, but I want to give a big shout out to my team, right? People ask me what I'm most proud of. And I still think that we're at the beginning of a, a mountain climb, like uh, compared to perhaps what in the accounting firm is, is great and is run by an amazing group of people and doing that thing. And that's awesome to be able to sit on the sidelines and go to the board meetings and help participate there. And what they're doing but the pi team like i'm most proud of building a good team and having a whole bunch of people that will yeah we have one of our values that's here our customer here at the customer and so they they live that smarter together better together they live that and people will actually you know back each other will support each other it roles are a thing that help define career journey as opposed to that define rank if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a huge thing for us because like my nickname is self-imposed, but no one's corrected me <laughs> because I'm CEO, <laughs> yeah, maybe not, but I'm um, like, I call myself the janitor because there isn't anything that I'm not willing to do. And if it, it betters the company, like if people want me to jump on a webinar or they want me to help plan a marketing event. Can we say you're the custodian instead of the janitor? Custodian sounds uh, better I, to you. I, no, I, I like, I like. I like the janitor. I know it has negative connotations more so in other countries, but I think it's, it's, like... it's tongue in cheek. It, I think that's also probably why you like that and why it's self-imposed because you don't like the rank and file. So to speak. I think it's important because ultimately my board, my option say that I have a lot more at risk perhaps than others. And I'm responsible for shareholders on the board and very much that, but at the same time, if I can help the wheels turn faster or unlock blockages in, in bottlenecks and processes, yeah, that's what I'm focused on. And that's sort of my core focus. So big shout out to the PI team all around the world and big shout out to our customers who make their jobs uh, a joy for them. And yeah, I think we've got one of the best customer bases in the world that people are just super awesome and helpful. And, and You've got great. a lot of growth minded customers too, I think, like yeah. a lot, especially the early adopters or the people that, because there's a huge market still here that for you to tap into and you, it's the end of the beginning, right? Like I just get pissed off at Rod for saying that on stage at Zerocons, but <laughs> Very much feels like that's where we're at. There's so much good stuff to come. So watch this space. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you dealing with just me this time. Yeah. Yeah, happy to. All right, mate. I'll talk to you soon.